So let's go ahead and turn, uh, like Lou and I did this morning, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to spend some time there. I, um, we're doing a series, uh, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of dabbling in it. We're doing a series at the end of uh, August started, uh, called God is Able. And, and so since that's a little important series to me, I want to um, I want to turn you on to a little book. It's more. It's not. I wouldn't say it's, it's not deep at all. It's uh, just really kind of simple. But uh, I know my wife loves this author, uh, Priscilla Schreier. And if you've heard of Tony Evans, uh, Tony Evans. This is his daughter, and it's a it's a neat little gem about some struggles and some things uh, that she had, and where um, God is able. Like for for example. Um, she says, 15 years ago, I didn't believe that God could heal my broken heart. Uh, she said, 12 years ago, I was certain he would, uh, I wasn't certain he'd be able to save my marriage. Probably didn't know that about it. 10 years ago, I wondered if he was able to let me safely bear a child. Eight years ago, I questioned if he could ease a heavy cloak of guilt and regret that I was harboring. 15 years ago, I had only a, a thin shred of hope that he could salvage a cherished friendship. Four years ago, I didn't see any way we could purchase a key piece of property we needed. Three years ago, I had little faith he could heal my son of some troubling emotional issues. Two years ago, I, I doubted he could free me from paralyzing sense of fear and anxiety. And even as recently as last year, this was written in 2013, I seriously questioned if I was suitable, uh, suitable or suited for ministry, that God had entrusted me. In fact, I questioned enough that in my darkest moments, I considered throwing in the towel. And she, walks, she writes about that in her book. So uh, if you know anything about following the Lord, what I want to encourage us tonight is this, is that uh, God is able. He really is able. And so uh, I, wanted, I want you to take out a piece of paper, your phone, and your notes, or, or whatever you want to do. I want to ask you this question. And then uh, I think, you know, with some prayer, we're going to look at uh, doing some testimony stuff and see how that play, plays out. Not tonight, but uh, I think it would be important for us to do it. I want you to take out just your phone or whatever, and I want you to answer this question. What is it that holds you down or holds you back? What is it that holds you down or holds you back? And it could be from a relationship. It could be from uh, another job. Maybe you're just thinking, God, you know, you answer other people, but you just wouldn't answer me in this. I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I want to take a look at it. What is it that would um, that hold you down or hold you back? Do you believe that God can financially come through? Do you believe God that uh, he can do a breakthrough and whatever it is? So the main idea there is that God is, is able. Uh, she says this. The fact is, she has never had much trouble believing in the power of God when it was theoretical. Or when all the action that was required was for us to say amen during the service. She didn't struggle with that. As long as the problem was somebody else's, I believe God was able. All right, can I get a witness on that one? As long as it's, as long as it's about, you know, um, Ricky, if Ricky needs something or Seth needs something or, or, or whoever needs something, you can say, oh, okay, or Jay, if Jay came to me and said, can you do it? Man, it's really easy for me to pray this powerful prayer. But when I need it, is God in? Theoretically, yes. Practically, probably don't believe it. But when it comes to me, she said, I found 
My worst fears confirmed. I am insufficient. I am outmatched. I'm incapable of fixing everything, or much less anything. But I've also learned something else, something else that has changed my life, that God is able. Time and time again, God has proven very plainly to me that he is not held down by what holds me. That was really good. Um, and so if God is not held down by what holds us, then he is able. So I wanted to read this. So she talks about her dad, Tony Evans, would have these testimony nights in the church. People don't do things that way anymore. You know, it's not cool to do stuff like that. We have to flower it up, right? Because um, testimony nights are kind of they're kind of scary, right? Because the spirit might just go somewhere you don't really want to know what to do. Because then you're like, oh my word, it's out of our control. It's not of God. As if God said we ever had control anyway. Um, she, she wrote this. After 25 years, my friend's husband decided to leave her. He ran off to a lifestyle that seemed more appealing to him than the monotonous daily rhythm of matrimony. So she prayed for five solid years. And wouldn't let herself doubt that God would answer. <coughs> seeing as how other Christians seem to be doing enough doubting for her. But God set us straight one bright Sunday morning when our pastor called the husband forward <coughs> in the middle of the service and stood him by the altar. This is awesome. She said, I couldn't believe it. None of us had seen him in years. But there he was, all dressed up in a suit and a tie. Then the back doors of the sanctuary flung open, and the pianist let out a stirring rendition of, here comes the bride. <coughs> and here she came, the bride, the same bride who had walked the aisle to greet the same man 30 years early. Their children and grandchildren played the roles of bridesmaids and groomsmen, standing around them while the couple stood hand in hand at the altar. And when they said, I do, it was done. It is finished. God is able. So I want to set some parameters tonight. Before you think I'm preaching health and wealth, I'm not. Um, just because God can doesn't mean he will. But just because he hasn't, doesn't mean he won't. She said. The bottom line is that he is able. And then the Lord showed me. God is able because even though he never changes, he causes us to change. I'll give you an example. His strength overcomes our weaknesses, doesn't it? For my grace is sufficient. Isn't that what he said? You know what Paul wrote? Paul said, when, when I am weak, yeah, for my grace is enough. It's sufficient. It's more than enough. So we boast about our weaknesses. So here's what, why God is able. Because God doesn't change. So because God doesn't change, he enables us to change. And just because he hasn't doesn't mean he won't. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17. I don't even know if I'm going to get through it. 
This is, I am probably more excited about this sermon than I've been excited about any sermon in, in the last couple weeks. I'm being honest. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes tonight to see Jesus. To see Jesus in every verse. To see the power of the Holy Spirit in every verse. To see the power of the Spirit in our weakness. To see the power of the Spirit in our inability. To see the power of the Spirit in the things that we say that we can't or we don't or that we doubt or that we should have or that we could have, that we did not do because we felt like we weren't able or whether we didn't know that you were calling us. God, will you show us in every verse the very power of God, the very resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, that called Lazarus forth, that changed the whole world, that brings the earth to life, that brings the sun, its fire, and its flame, and sets the universe in its place and calls the stars by name, that power. That is my prayer tonight. <coughs> Holy Spirit fire. You promised that you would send the Holy Spirit not just to seal us, but to change us. And to come alongside us. And I don't have to hold you to something when you've always come through. All I have to do is say yes. So here we are, Lord. Send us where we're not willing, make us willing. Where we say we won't, help us to say we will. And where we say we can't, may we say you can. And so for those that agree this, Lord, I ask this. You agree with that? Would you say amen? Okay, three people. Here we go. Just kidding. All right, so let me move over here. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This really gets me. Next. And we, I'm telling you, I'm treasuring this stuff. This is really good. And we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. You see, we have unveiled faces because of the movement of the Spirit in our life. Okay? The, the Holy Spirit has moved in your life enough, in my life enough, that we have an unveiled face. We read Scripture, things come to life, don't they? I mean, let's just be honest. And the more we read it, the more things kind of come together. We have an unveiled face. We look and we see Jesus in things where other people say they don't see Jesus in things. We look around and say there's hope and there's no hope. I mean, I, I admire you and your wife so much because you give your life away to the broken. You, you say, we're willing to step in the gap where nobody else would stand in the gap. And because, because you have an unveiled face, you think that God can do something. And the world goes, no, just get them through. And we say, don't just get people through. Let God change them. Because God changed us, right? Like, he changed us. Like, we don't, we don't just, like, we, when something goes wrong, we don't just sit there and go, oh, this is awful, and let's just sit in it. We say, God, you've got to do something about it because I believe that you're going to use it for your glory because you have something, you have something planned in all of this. And the older I get, to be honest with you, the more I see how things play together. Like, I, I wanted certain things to do certain things, and God said no to certain things. And now I look back and I say, I see why it was better for my family or better for this situation. And I look back and I understand now. But at the time, I was a, I was a big baby. I was just whining and complaining. I was moaning and groaning. And you love me. Yeah, but you love everybody else but me. And all you do is you bless other people and me. And I'm supposed to be serving you. And you serve the people that don't even care about you. And, you know, this isn't any fun following you. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. What? What? Are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, which, uh, uh, who is the Spirit. And this is what I was looking at, and I go, what is this? In other words, here's the life-changing power. God doesn't change, but he changes us. 
We're the ones who with unveiled faces. So the more that we reflect in the very presence of God, the more we spend time in the presence of God, the more God is able to us. God has always been able. We just haven't bought in. Are you, are you, this is why I'd rather be with you. I'm going to tell you. Sunday mornings, you can have it. You can have it. It's great. And that's great. And most, I don't even know. I imagine most pastors like Sunday mornings because I guess bigger numbers. But you know what I like? I like Sunday nights. Because I believe, man, that is who we're to act. And those are the people that get it. Are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. This is where God doesn't change, but we change. We are changing. We are changing. And if Christians are not changing, and this is as a pastor, what God wants for us as a local church, and what he is saying to me, and for us at this specific time, this specific place, to this specific people, that we have got to allow God to change. We have got to buy into the ability of God and not our inability to do it. And the way he changes us is by us <coughs> who are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. We, and this is how we do it. We all reflect. I think another NIV version says contemplate. It says, and the way we do it, the way we're changed is we reflect the Lord's glory. That's our key. Wherever we go, whatever we do, Ricky's at school, he's reflecting the Lord's glory. When you're talking to your parent, you're reflecting the Lord's glory. When you're at your job, you're reflecting the Lord's glory. And that's how we do it, the idea of reflecting. What does the word reflect mean? It's a compound word in the Greek. I want to give you something so you can write it down, and then I want you to pray through it. I want you to pray through it tonight. It means this. It's a compound word. It means according to mirror. The mirror. So it's according to a mirror. That's what the word reflect means. It means to contemplate. I, I think the NASB means, uh, uh, kind of carries the idea of this, this, this being really focused in on the Lord. Kind of beholding as in a mirror, which is a very good translation. So it means according to a mirror. So we look in the mirror. We look into the face of Christ. And we should be looking like, like him, not making him look like. <coughs> That's what it means. Reflection upon the Lord means we change. Reflection upon the Lord means we don't ask God to do for us. Reflection means he asks us to do for him. And then we have an obligation to respond in faith. That is what the word reflect means. So everywhere you and I go, we are reflecting a mirror of Jesus. And that is why the world struggles with the local church, because sometimes they don't see the reflection. And that's okay. And that's okay because guess what? We are definitely inadequate people. But we, when we are weak, he is. When we are poor, he is rich. We reflect. How do we change? We reflect. We contemplate according to the mirror. We look into the mirror of Jesus. And then it goes on to say, are being transformed into his likeness. I love this. There's, the learning curve never ends in the Lord. Our, our, we are continually becoming more like Jesus with ever-increasing glory. When you think of ever-increasing glory, when you think of glory, what do you, what do you think glory means? Come on. 
points out to be missed out was, was, was the importance. Why can't we be friends? <coughs> Uh, what does it mean we reflect his glory? Do you, do you think it's brightness? What do you think? Brightness. Yes. But what does his presence feel like? So really good. That's right. We are reflecting his presence. That's, that's a very good idea of what it means. It really is because I want to go deeper. I want to, I want to take it another layer. It's exactly right. What does his glory mean, though? So when I used to read this, I used to think, oh, I'm going to be bright like the sun. Oh. <laughs> right? That's not what it means. It, when the presence of God was a, in, in the Old Testament, when his Shekinah glory, what, what did that mean? What type of glory was that? What did the people do when the presence of God came into the tent or came upon the mountain? Uh, they bowed why? The holy the waiting. Ever-increasing glory. Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. He's the glory of God. And what did Jesus do that was so magnificent that brought him the glory? He did what? Okay, when he died for us, what did he do? What happened to all the sin? It went away because he put all the sin on who? So he took a massive weight <coughs> so we didn't have to. So when you and I are ever increasing in glory, we are ever increasing in the very weight of God. When God's presence comes in a room, it gets thick fast. It's not like we walk into a room and we're like, vibrant and happy and I mean that's true but you know what I mean but when the presence of God is in the room you're right there's a sense of, of, of holiness of, of, of reverence of wow God is here and I am not him and I better back but God is putting more weight on you and I that is why you and I that is why you're my favorite group because God is putting more weight on us. He puts more weight on us because he's asking us to do more. And the more he asks us to do, the more of a weight it becomes. Now, if I try to carry the weight of God or the glory of God in my flesh, what does it feel like? Woo! You spot on. That was the spirit. But if you carry it in the spirit... Or should I better say, if the Spirit carries it in the Spirit, then it becomes weightless. We become image bearers. Ever increasing glory. It's not that we get brighter. It's that the presence of Jesus gets heavier on our lives. And there's things we can't do, right? There's things that we just can't do because the Spirit is like a wall sometimes to us, isn't it? Y'all ever tried to sin and that conviction sets in? It is like a wall because I don't want to sin. <laughs> right? Put down the yeast roll. No. <laughs> I'm in gluttony language, God. Move out the way. It's every God is able. He is able to be 
be for me what I am not for myself. But when I am increasing in his glory, as I reflect on this mirror of what I call God, and when I'm in prayers, I reflect on him and the Holy Spirit speaking to me. The more I reflect, the more his presence takes, and the more his presence overcomes me, the more I get into situations where there becomes more weight. Not that I can hold myself up, but the weight of Jesus is so thick that the Holy Spirit on me that he can hold it up. He can hold up your marriage. He can hold you up in your job. And he can hold your finances up. Is this making any sense? Absolutely. Amen. That's what this means. Ever increasing. But we can't get that. We'll never be able to take on more for God unless we do that. We have to get in the mirror of Jesus. We have to look at Jesus and say, change me because you're able. That's what that means. That's what it means. It's ever increasing. It means this. It means brightness, grace, a thing belonging to God. Putting it another way, I love what Piper said this. What then is the common essential element, excuse me, what then is the common essential element of all saving faith? I mean, in other words, what does it mean to really be saved? What type of faith means? I'm going to tell you what type of faith means. I put this over my son, J.D., when he's at school. Because, listen, if he doesn't spend any time with Jesus, if he's not reflecting on Jesus, he can't carry the burden God's going to put on him. Dead. I'm just making this up. Why do I have to just make your objections? Why do I have to be this when other people aren't? Can I tell someone what one of your friends told me? That you might as well go ahead and smoke dope because you're going to do it anyway. <laughs> and that's what, that's, you know, y'all know that's the challenge he's facing. It's the challenge you face. Getting hammered. Just getting hammered. You don't have a choice. God is going to put his weight on you. He is going to put his glory. If you don't reflect with him, spend time with him, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, because God is asking, why is he having me say this to you? Because obviously, and he didn't have me say it this morning, I don't know why he didn't have me say it this morning, I just have to do what the Spirit says, so he knew who was coming tonight, so he's telling you, he's going to put more on you, not because, not because he's trying to make your life better, because remember, my yoke is easy, mom. John, that doesn't make much sense, what you're telling me, he's putting more on me. No, no, no. He's not putting more on you. He's really putting more on the spirit inside of you. But if you don't reflect, you can't carry it. And so your life, you just you just live your life how you want. And and then and, and, and I felt this morning that worship, I didn't judge anybody. I just kind of sensed this morning that some people came into worship today giving God their leftovers because they gave their flesh so much the night before. Boom. And we wonder why we wonder why it's uh. It's not uh because of the spirit. It's uh because of you. That's the truth. It's uh because of me. It's uh because of I should be. Let's go. Because God is putting his weight. God called me into this ministry. He puts the weight of the church on me. He says, Man, you're responsible for their souls, my emotional will, right? This is God's responsible for your salvation and your mind, motion, will, and everything else. He says, I'm accountable to be a, a, a sheep with you, but to, to kind of lead towards the voice of the great shepherd. 
Right? So, so what is this all saving faith? Um, it's this. Um, I, want, I, want to, I want to read this. This is brilliant. What then is the common essential element in all saving faith? What is it that makes believing in the promises a saving act? In other words, what makes it believe that Jesus died on the cross and and God rose him from the third day, and that he's the Lord of our lives, and we're going to live with him forever, and be absent from the body is the presence of the Lord, and that he's going to seal us with the Holy Spirit? What makes those promises saving? What type of faith makes that promise saving? And this is what he said. Woo! This is great. Boy, just, God, help me unpack this because I'm not smart. He said, what is it that makes believing in promises a saving act rather than a deluded one like the experience of the hypocrites in Matthew 7.22? Turn to Matthew, keep your finger there. Turn to Matthew 7.22. You get the context there at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go to 21. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, you already had it. Never mind. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 22, this is the key. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Uh, and in your name, God, he was to perform many miracles. What does he say in the next verse? Depart from me, or I, then I'll tell you plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. In other words, what type of faith does it take to be saving faith? What'd you say? Instead of obedience, I'm sorry. Uh, well, let, let me, Piper answers it so beautiful. The essence of saving faith is being satisfied with, with all that God is in for us in Jesus. In other words, saving faith is I am satisfied in the God who claims to be God and all that he is in the person of Jesus. Let me unpack it a little further. In all the acts of saving faith, the Holy Spirit enables us not just to perceive and affirm factual truth. Jesus came, died, rose again on the third day, right? That he's going to indwell us with the Holy Spirit. It's not just affirming factual truth, but also to apprehend and embrace spiritual beauty. It is embracing of spiritual beauty that is the essential core of saving faith. That is what I mean by being satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus Spiritual beauty is the beauty of God diffused in all his, uh, all his works and words. Embracing this or delighting in it or being satisfied with it is the heart of saving faith. Or better, satisfied with all that God will be for us. Okay, here we break it down. Saving faith is not just this. It's not just saying, I believe Jesus died on the cross, rose again on the third day. I've given my life to him. He's indwelling with the Holy Spirit. Saving faith is not just what God has done for us in the person of Jesus, but what God will do for us in the person of Jesus. And now as a result, that I believe that he's done this for me. Now I'm willing to go and do and be with him. That is saving faith. That is why faith without words is dead. Oh, man. I don't know you guys have explained it well enough. People, I believe, are not saved. Who say that they believe in what God has done when they're not living in what God will, will be for you. Because there's no ever-increasing glory. Saving faith is what God will be for you. What he will be for you in your marriage, or your singleness, or in your job, or in your career, or in your lack of family, or in all your pain. What God will be for you in your death, and in your life, and in your resurrection. When people live like that, that's saving faith. I've never had anybody teach me that. Ever. 
Daniel Fuller said it this way when he wrote the book, Unity of the Bible. The notes are on Facebook. I didn't get enough time to put on. Some of Charleston not coming, I apologize. He says, a faith that only looks back to Christ's death and resurrection is not sufficient. Forgiveness for the Christian depends on having, like Abraham, a futuristic faith in the, in the promises of God. Is this making any sense? Thus, we cannot regard justifying faith. Justifying faith means just as if it never happened. Our slate's been wiped clean, right, by the blood. Thus, we cannot regard justifying faith as sufficient if it honors only the past fact of Christ's death and resurrection, but does not honor the future promises of God, thus mocking his character and his integrity. So people that say, I believe that Jesus died for me, but don't believe that God will do for you, you've mocked him. Saving faith is God has done and God will be for me what I can't be for myself. God is able. And now I step and walk and he puts more on you and more on me and more on us to the very point we feel like we're crawling and we can't take any more. God, don't give me more. Didn't Jesus say that the night before he died? Jesus also said that no servant is greater than his hmm. So if Jesus had to walk with a heavy weight, then that's what it means to deny yourself and take up your daily following. Man, this is good. What time is it? I lost it. Seven? <laughs> huh? Six feet eight. Two minutes. So here's the application. The spiritual beauty we need to embrace is the beauty of God that will be for us in the future, certified for us by the glorious work of God in his past. The more we can celebrate the God in the past and say that certified, that seal that God did it, and if he did it there, he's going to do it here. Now I can walk with him. Make sense? So we do celebrate the past, but it's only to motivate us for the future. Right? Our confidence and trust, Piper said, must be in all that God himself will be for us in the next moment and in the next month and in the endless ages of eternity. It is he and he alone who will satisfy the soul in the future. And the future, and it is the future that has to be secure and satisfied with the spiritual riches of glory if we are to live radical Christian life, which Christ calls us to live here and now. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians. I'm done. I'm not preaching. <laughs> Let's go back to 18. All right, so this is it. I'm done. I got to honor. Reflect means what? <coughs> so look what? Yeah. So according to the mirror, the mirror is Jesus. If the more we do, the more we spend time looking in the mirror of Jesus, the more we're going to ever increase in weighty glory. He's going to give us a weight. He's going to give us a burden. A burden in a good way. I don't mean burden in a bad way. It's in the way us down. But it's a burden to walk into the very presence of God and go into dark places and with hurting people and go to Ethiopia and to go into the places you go to every day and to work with the people you work with because you know you want to quit and God won't let you. God, why would you give me this head coaching job? Keep stressing, Ricky. Let's keep going. So, chapter 4. 
Therefore, since with God's mercy we have this ministry, we did not lose heart. I'm going to go fast. I want you to see it. This is the ending. Let's keep going. Remember, because we reflect, he's going to give us more. Remember, we saving faith, saving faith, people that are saved, don't just say, I believe Jesus died, rose again, I've got the Holy Spirit, he did it for free, my sins are washed away. But saving faith is not just I'm satisfied with the past work of God, but I'm so satisfied with the past work of God and that Jesus is all, God is all, that he can be in Jesus and all the future promises. Now I'll go with God and I believe he will do in the future because of what he's done in the past. That is saving faith. And so now this happens. Rather, we have a mouth secret and shameful ways. You know those pet sins. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We future promises, so we walk into this nasty, ugly, dark world, and here is the very weighty glory of God bursting forth in darkness. Let's keep going. And even if our gospel is veiled, because we have unveiled faces, that's why we can reflect, right? We're not like Moses that didn't fade away. It is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So in your work and with your family, there will be people that will be blinded, but we don't know who they are. But we cast the image of God's glory, and people don't understand your weight, Julia. They don't understand. Why do you live your life this way? Come party with us. But they don't understand the weight that God has on you is calling, right? That weight that we talked about, right? That ever-increasing glory. And the more you and your wife go with God, the more that becomes a burden to do the things for God. Because you have saving faith. Because you say, thank you, reflect, and spend time with him. But there'll be people that mock you and make fun of you and put you down the blind. Would you call me mean if I made of a blind, if I made fun of a blind person that tripped and fell right here? Would you? Then how do I have the right to curse my enemies? Let me ask you a question again. Would you make fun of me if the blind person walked right here? He was fun, and I laughed when he fell. Ha ha, what an idiot, stupid. What would you say to me? After he fired me, because y'all are my boss. But what would you say? Thank you, Ricky's going to punch me. You can't catch me, Ricky. Your back's up. <laughs> you have a horrible representation of Christ. And that's why Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Because when we bless out those people, then we're blessing out the blind. But I'm guilty because I can't stand them. I'm just going to tell you straight up. God has to work in me because when I see arrogant people, prideful people, ooh, hair just stands up on the back of my neck. Oh, I hope they fail. Okay, I was a Christian. Um, what is the name of God? Verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves is your servants for Jesus' sake. Look what he's saying. Saving faith. Keep going. Verse 6. For God who said, let light shine our darkness, may this light shine in our hearts, reflection language, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, the word of God, in the face of Christ. Seven. For we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's where we get the word of the stars, by the way. It's like, a, it's like the pearl in the middle of the oyster shell. Jars of clay to show that all surpassing power is from God and not from us. This is how we walk. This is how we walk because we're image bearers. Verse eight. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Remember these verses in songs and old saying years ago? Perplexed, but not in despair. 
Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed because of the weight of God. Is God able or not? If he did in the past, he would actually motivate us to walk in the future. And take us to the very point and end of ourselves that God, if you don't show up, I cannot pay my bills this month. There will be times that we will feel perplexed. We will feel persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not what? Keep going. This is so good. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. We will carry around our cross. It is your calling. It is where you go to the dark places, and you're going to carry, and you're going to feel sometimes almost this, this one moment, you're going to feel, I, God, do you really do you really hear? And the next moment, the Spirit's going to speak loudly. Yes, I am with you because of my promises. Remember the past. I am faithful in the future. Let ever-increasing glory and it gives you more drive to be where you are, more drive in the darkness. The life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus. Yeah, I your witness. Uh, so that his life may be revealed in us. I don't want to go to work tomorrow. You think I want to go to work here? Are you kidding me? I want to just pastor. Okay? Yeah, I said it. I don't, I don't, I love. You know, you and I are the same boat. We, 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 we the dinner anymore. And we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Right? And sometimes when I reveal it more, people shoot me down, even here. Amy knows. Amy sees me in class. She's known. Then some people don't like me too much, Amy. And that's why I love you being in class. I feel like you're my amen corner. And then I'm excited because you're pregnant because then that means I have more of an amen corner. <laughs> and you can say things and you can just say it's hormonal and they can't challenge you. <laughs> so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. This is it. Keep going. It is written, I believe, therefore I've spoken with the same spirit of faith. We also believe and therefore speak. Let's just finish up the book. We're done. Let's just read it because we know that the one who has raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Let's keep going. So good. All this is for your benefit. Yeah, I don't know if I really believe that, Lord. I mean, I need to. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people that cause thanksgiving to overflow. Reflect ever-increasing, here's the grace language, that calls thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. That is Jesus. 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far away from I'm going to read this verse, but I want you to soak it. And I'm going to come on up here if you want, Jeffrey. Said, Coleman J. Eagle. This is where I came to. 
Thank y'all for your patience tonight. So we fix our eyes now on what is seen. On what is unseen. Saving faith, right? Saving faith is always looking forward. And the past, the work of Jesus on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection motivates us to look forward. But what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. So, remember what you wrote down about maybe what holds you down or holds you back? I'm going to ask you to pray this God able to do it. Do what you can't do. Father, I thank you for your patience for your mind and soul. Thank you. 